It's finally here. College basketball season after a long wait is back in our lives. Starting today, Iowa will be taking on North Carolina Central as part of Iowa's multi-team event. It's a great sign that NCCU tweeted out uh, about the game already this morning, so I'm assuming they've already passed all the COVID tests. But David Eichel, along with Sean Bach, 24-7 Sports, HawkeyeInsider.com, before we really get started here. Uh, the best sale of the year is going on right now. 75% off an annual subscription, less than $0.08 cents a day, gets you the most in-depth Iowa Hawkeye coverage, analysis, scoop, interaction, everything you could want, and more. Go to HawkeyeInsider.com and be sure to check that out. But like I said in the opening, Sean, college basketball season is finally back. I don't know about you, but it really felt like it was the longest offseason of all time. Maybe it's because it was, but it really just felt extra long this year. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy. Um, just kind of the last couple months, obviously, with COVID going on. And I think with football coming back, I think everyone made a big deal out of that. And then kind of bat- college basketball season kind of snuck up out of nowhere. Um, and I don't want to get too negative with all the tests and stuff, but, you know, like the positive tests and like the games getting canceled kind of made me a little eerie about things going on. But, you know, if we can get 75, 80% of the games in, that's a successful season. I think things are going to get worse before they get better. But, you know, there seems to be optimism that we'll be able to play this season. There seems to be a lot of optimism that there will be an NCAA tournament because there has to be an NCAA tournament. So, I think you got to look at the long term. I mean, it sucks that all these games are getting canceled, but you know, at the end of the day, the tournament's going to happen. College basketball season's going to happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's let's get. I'm ready to go. Honestly, I'm I'm really really excited. Um, college basketball has always probably been my favorite. I mean, I love college football too, but just something a little different about college basketball that kind of gets me excited. So I'm looking forward to it, man. And it's going to be fun to watch this Iowa team this year because, I mean, I don't think – well, I mean, definitely ever since we've been covering at 24-7 sports, there hasn't been this much hype about the Iowa basketball program heading into yeah. the season. I mean, it's probably been a few decades. I mean, you're talking about the highest preseason ranking uh, since in, – in 65 years. And like you mentioned, Sean, I don't want to get dive down this COVID hole because it's just a never-ending cycle. But I do think it's worth noting a couple things. One, I think the Big Ten will have to reevaluate their 21-day quarantine period. I know some people are comfortable with it, but it also can make it very difficult for. I mean, the players who test positive, they have to, you know, the 21 days, and then people have to sit out for two weeks. I'm very interested to see what the CDC does because there's talk that they're going to reduce the the days you have to quarantine from 14 to seven through 10. If that happens, will the Big Ten shift the goalposts or change the rules? We'll see about that, and we'll keep you up to date, obviously, on all that. But I think if that happens, that's going to give much more flexibility for college basketball happening this season. But we'll dive. We'll have a mini roundtable uh, right after we talk about the football game, Sean. Black Friday, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, to start this off, obviously. Hope I know you got a lot of people are changing around their Thanksgiving plans, but if you did that, I hope that you find a way to be able to talk to your loved ones, spend some time with them. But, Sean, Black Friday, Iowa-Nebraska inside Kinnick Stadium. Let's dive right into it. Let's not really recap too much from Iowa's past game, but they've, they've outscored their last three opponents by 90 points. And Nebraska, as far as I've read, and I've talked to some people within the program, they're coming off arguably the worst loss in the Scott Frost era, an Illinois team that really looked down and defeated. I know they won the previous week, but they found a way to put up 41 points on Nebraska – 
And that defense just it didn't look like a typical black shirt defense. And I think the heat's turning a little bit up on Scott Frost. And I think the fan base is getting extra antsy. And it's, it's a very interesting vibe coming into this game, Sean. But there's a lot to break down here. I know you've looked at some numbers. I've watched a lot of Nebraska football this season. Uh, and if you didn't know, it's, I, I was an alum there. So, and I, I love the Iowa-Nebraska rivalry. It's one of my favorites. But uh, what were some things that kind of stick out to you, Sean? Yeah, I mean, Kirk Ferentz mentioned it yesterday that Nebraska's two-quarterback attack could be something that's interesting to game plan for. Scott Frost really hasn't revealed what kind, what quarterback he's going to start. Um, obviously, Luke McCaffrey's played the last couple games as a starting quarterback when they benched Adrian Martinez against, I think it was the Northwestern game. So we haven't seen much of Martinez except for that last drive against um, Illinois last week where he led the team to a touchdown and everyone's like, oh, man, like it's looking like Martinez is going to be the starter now. So I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. And it's kind of weird because, I mean, I guess maybe it's just me paying more attention to it or maybe it's just a weird year. But it's another week this season where Iowa plays a quarterback that really, like, I wouldn't say prefer to run the ball but are more dangerous with the ball with with the with their feet than they are with their arm. Because um, I think you look at Peyton Ramsey, like, yeah, he's efficient, but it's like he did most of his damage, or he does most of his damage with his feet. Um, even I mean, he can throw the ball, obviously, but from what I've seen, I think he's more of a threat with his feet. And then Sean Clifford and Will Levis, I mean, Sean Clifford had those two touchdown passes back-to-back, but I think you look at the first couple of drives and you saw Will Levis really use his – scrambling ability well and same thing with Clifford at times too but you know Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey looking at the stats like they have not thrown the ball well this year um I believe they're complete completing about let me look real quick complete so McCaffrey's 64 percent of his passes but he's played four he's played in four games and you know that's what less than 20 passing attempts per game yeah, I mean, he ran them. the ball 20 times in the first half last week. Yeah, so, I mean, like, you look at the completion percentage, you're like, all right, that's respectable. But then you look at his QB rating, 108. His interceptions, five. Touchdowns, one. Same thing with Adrian Martinez, who a lot of people pegged as a Heisman candidate coming into last season. And he just has not had a great year either. Played in three games, complete 58% of his passage, 273 yards. Uh, one touchdown to one interception and 91 passing yards per game. Like, that is not going to get it done. I mean, it, it could get it done if your running game is really good, but Nebraska this year running the ball has just not been great either outside of their run, outside of their quarterbacks. I think McCaffrey's done a respectful job, but, you know, that's you need a guy that's going to be able to throw the ball too and make plays that way. And if you don't have a running back like that, then, you know, that's going to that's gonna spell trouble. And, I mean, it hasn't helped yeah. injury-wise, obviously, with Diedrich Mills being out. Marvin Scott, freshman, has showed some promise here and there. But, you know, you need you need your main guys to be at their best, especially on the offensive end, those skill and, positions. And they're throwing Wandale Robinson in at running back. You know, he was like that last year. I thought his ceiling was higher as a running back because they actually made an effort to give him the ball. But he's been, I think, very underutilized this year. So I'm interested to see if they actually run the ball more with him. And you're right, Sean, it really is kind of mind-boggling because you look at Martinez's freshman year stats when he was a dynamic. Yeah, he had a couple of fumble issues and turnover issues, but, I mean, he made that offense go, and he was dynamic. 
You look at the game-by-game total offense, 190 yards against Ohio State, 227 against Northwestern. Had 51 – Grant, like you said, he he only came in the last drive against Illinois, 51 yards against Illinois. And you look at Luke McCaffrey, and this is not a shot Luke McCaffrey at all, but it's worth noting, in Scott Frost's system, he – He's not much for protecting his quarterback, and I don't mean that as a slight to Frost and his offense because we've seen what it can do. But Luke McCaffrey is not built to take 25, 30, 35 hits a game. I mean, that is going to wear him down. He took a, a lot of hits last week, 26 um, rushing attempts to end the game. And But it is interesting, Sean, because I look at this matchup. Iowa typically, is even if they have a quarterback spy, they've been prone at times to give up big runs to quarterbacks. But that's also with the threat of a pass game. You look at Nebraska right now, they're 13th in the conference in passing yards per game. And right now they have a lot of young wide receiver talent. They don't have a lot of just proven skill set players that can go and get the job done. And, you know, I think Oliver Martin is eligible. I'm interested to see if they actually try to give him a ball. The former Iowa wide receiver, Iowa State West, went to Michigan, came to Iowa, then transferred to Nebraska. But you look at the rest of wide receivers – I mean, Cade Warner, uh, he, Iowa, I think, had a preferred walk-on spot for him. I know he took the preferred walk-on at Nebraska. I mean, again, there's a lot of talent there, but it's a combination of Nebraska's quarterbacks not being able to be accurate downfield and also just there's just not a lot of proven experience and talent in that wide receiver room. And if you're going to try – I think if you're going to try to beat Iowa with a one-dimensional running offense, Sean, it's not going to happen. I mean, it, it, traditionally, it does not – happen unless there's a Christian McCaffrey in the backfield uh but even then that Stanford team could still throw the ball they had a very good uh reliable quarterback but I think if you go back 2000 uh 2010 during the Orange Bowl Georgia Tech came in the number one rushing offense in the country Iowa we don't really contain that well and they did really had really good game plan they did it well Iowa only I think if you're gonna have one-dimensional offense it's like when you get beat by Rondale Moore David Bell it's like a Purdue offense it's that air raid go deep or get continue to throw you the ball. But again, I think there's a lot on this game. I think there's a lot of motivation for Nebraska, but reading the, you know, being in the press conference yesterday, Sean, I don't feel like Iowa is overlooking Nebraska by any means. Right. And I mean, I know it's a cliche, but I talked about it with Mike Schaefer, one of our Nebraska guys at 24 seven sports yesterday on his radio show. I said that, you know, I think this game could either be Iowa winning, you know, 28-7, or it could be Iowa or Nebraska winning in a close one. Like, I don't think there are going to be a lot of points scored either way. I think Iowa has a chance to score more points, like, no matter the outcome in this game. But I think this game overall is just going to be kind of a grind-em-out game because, you know, rivalry game, throw the records out the window, all that, all that jab, and you know, I think this is going to be one of those games where you don't see a lot of points on the board. Now, I think Iowa can find a way to spread it out and score more because I have them winning this one. But I think you look at matchup-wise and just the way Nebraska offensively has been this year, and it's not been not been good. Um, I think the way the Iowa defense has been played is they're playing their best football um, and is really creating turnovers. And it's hard for me to believe that Iowa is – third in the Big Ten in interceptions with 10. I think that speaks to the teams ahead of them. I know Indiana's for one. Can't remember who's in second. But I think if Iowa can force Nebraska to get turnovers, I think that would be good um, early on in the game, especially kind of 
like they did against Penn State. Now I know Iowa let them back in the game a little bit, but if Iowa can kind of put the pressure on early and make a big impact on the defensive end, especially early in the game, and kind of suck the suck the life out of Nebraska a little bit, that'll be a big boost for them in this game. And I think that's that's definitely a possibility, especially with the way that Iowa's defense has played this season. It is interesting, again, Sean, and here's the thing about – I'm very interested to see how Spencer Petras comes out and what Brian Ferentz's game plan is because if I'm Brian Ferentz, I have one – I a simple game plan. Run the football. That's it. I wouldn't even pass the ball unless you're forced to because you look at Nebraska just statistically. They're 13th in rushing defense, 115th in the country. They're giving up 223 yards per game. Iowa is running – Right now, at six in the conference, 181 yards per game. You keep going down. Nebraska, third down off, uh, third down offense, they're 14th. Third down defense, they're 14th in the in the conference, 121st in the nation. And Colin Miller, uh, you know, thank God he's all right. Uh, in case you didn't know, Colin Miller, inside linebacker for Nebraska, had a very very scary incident last week against Illinois really fell in a really awkward way on his back. I didn't see much movement. He was on the field for probably 12, 13 minutes before he got carted off. Uh, thankfully, he's all right. He was at practice the other day, not practicing, but just moving around and you know, being their first team. But the reason why I mentioned that, he's their fourth lean tackler. He's, he's one of their captains. He's been a very re- reliable leader for that team. There's a lot of inexperience for, from that Nebraska linebacking group, Sean. And with the way Sargent and Goodson ran the ball last week, I, I, I just say give them the ball and go until they can prove that they can stop you. And I think with the way this Iowa offensive line's playing, there's really no reason for me to believe that they won't be able to run the football against Nebraska. I think a lot of it's just going to be is Iowa overlooking Nebraska and is Nebraska still totally locked into their season after their one and three start? Definitely. I think, too, this could be a big game for Petrus as well. I mean, you talk about the running game. I agree with you, Dave. I think – Iowa needs to establish the run right away, not just in this game, but in every game they play, no matter what defense they're playing. And also this could be another confidence game for Peters because I think last week was evident that he had that one drive where he probably had two of his best passes. Didn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, that fumble, that uh, snap fumble was a little bit of an error, but I think you could blame that kind of on both sides. Um, But, you know, overall, I think this could be another game for Peters to really get in the swing of things and really go out strong in the last three games of big of the big 10 regular season. But, you know, like you said, I think the run game is really going to have to be the focal point of the offense. We've seen Tyler Goodson be so good this year um, with just the way he's able to move and able to get around guys with his speed and versatility and, and his shiftiness while, you know, Makai Sargent's really a guy that can run through other people and make people, um, be an efficient running back in that sense because of his strength and because of kind of just his really his ability to run between the tackles and you know make plays with his strength and also his feet too because I mean he's a sneaky quick running back as well um and it's good vision good intelligence and also you know I think this definitely be a good game for the running game to keep that keep that stride going we saw Goodson struggle a little bit last week but I think kind of the field conditions at State College had something to do with that um, with the new grass field. I think that was Iowa's first game on grass this season. I think, I think it was too, yeah. Yeah, and the conditions weren't very favorable. So Goodson, with his ability to kind of juke guys out and maybe use his maybe use his finesse a little bit, um, 
didn't work in his favor. But, you know, at a game like Iowa, not sure what the conditions will be this time around, but that turf field, no matter what, um, is usually pretty favorable with guys that like to move and, like, guys that like to get get guys dancing a little bit. So I think Goodson will be able to have a big game in that regard, like we saw last year against Nebraska. I also think Sargent's going to get some good run as well. And like you said, too, I think Nebraska, what you got to do is just run the ball down their throats. If you can do that effectively, then I think you're going to be in good shape. And, all, you know, you think about what Alaric Jackson said yesterday. He basically just said – he was asked about the Nebraska defense, and he said, no, it's just the same scheme, some different players. We're going to try to run through them. We're going to run through them. And now he wasn't saying it in a cocky way. He's just saying I thought that he knows what to expect. Nebraska knows what to expect. It's just going to be come down to the fact that who wants it more, who can, can, can Nebraska stop Iowa, or is Iowa's running game – going to be able to keep up the momentum that they've built up so far this season. But like you said, going back to Petrus, Sean, I think that this Friday could be a big, big step in his development. As you mentioned, that 26-yard pass, Nico Reganey. And that throw to Sam Laporta was one of the – that was probably his most impressive throw of the season. On target between, I think, three defenders low. It did put Laporta on the one-yard line. But, I mean, that's – he put it exactly where it needed to be. But – you know, I, I think, again, there's something different about this Iowa-Nebraska rivalry. You know, if you're a long-life Iowa native, you're told you invest in it. You have a different sense of it. And Spencer Petras kind of downplayed it. But remember this, Sean, Spencer Petras nearly did go to Nebraska. Nebraska, under Mike Riley, did recruit him. He did take a visit there. But after Petras visited Iowa, he ele- elected to flip uh, to the Hawkeyes. But there was a time where he really did like Nebraska. So I think there's a little bit of an interesting – dynamic there as well but you know flipping over the Iowa defense Sean I think the game plan again is pretty simple make make Martinez or Luke McCaffrey whoever the starter is make them be a quarterback make them beat you through the air make the Nebraska receivers prove themselves stop the run get Wandale Robinson don't let Luke McCaffrey and Adrian Martinez scramble around and create those big play with their legs because if that happens you know again the game could be the game could be interesting. And I think that it was a big step in the right direction. I think last week, Sean, when after I think it was the second drive when Penn State scored, Will Levis had seven carries for a total of 44 yards. And I think by the end of the game, he was at 15 carries for 35 yards. Iowa got in the backfield. They stopped him. And uh, it, again, it, just the way that they adjusted to that was a huge deal. And this wasn't in terms of stopping the run, but it just shows how efficient the defensive line has been. I love the call by Phil Parker when they switched Davion Nixon over to contain and the, and the way Nixon just read the quarterback's eyes and when he had that 71-yard pick six. I think that just shows the level of just skill and football IQ that this Iowa defensive line has. And I think that Jack Heflin's going to be a big part of this week's game plan. I think Zach Van Valkenburg uh, playing contain is going to be a huge, huge, huge key to this game as well. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Yeah, I mean, we ripped a lot on the Iowa defensive line um, in the first few games of the season. I mean, especially against Purdue, where really they couldn't get much pressure. But 
you know, I think it's been their strongest it's been their strongest position group on the defense. I think linebacker has had its moments, but I think defensive line, like I don't think it's really an argument to be made that any other to any other position group has performed the way they have defensively. Yeah, I think lineback linebackers have a shot at surpassing him. I think once Jack Campbell is a hundred percent and really fully in that rotation, I think he can propel them. But Nick Neiman, I think, has exceeded my expectations this season at 17 tackles last week. He's second in the Big Ten with 49 tackles. He's really had a tremendous season. But as you mentioned, Sean, I think there's a lot of praise on Iowa's secondary. And not that the secondary has been bad, but Iowa's defensive line has just completely turned turned up their game to another level. It's interesting, too. I think back to media day when Phil Parker said he felt the best about the defensive line, and my ears just kind of – you know, perked up because that was something I wasn't expecting. And I think through five games this season, he wasn't just trying – he wasn't blowing smoke. And I think the defensive line has really proven it. I think Chauncey Golston's got his game under his belt. I think Jack Heflin has been tremendous. I think Zach Van Valkenburg, just the jump in productivity that he's had this year as opposed to last year. Yeah, I know A.J. Epinesto is here, but he didn't even get that much run last year. And look at what he's done this year. And obviously, Davion Nixon, I think, is the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year candidate. And it'll be interesting to see if Heflin and Ben Valkenberg, maybe they're guys that want to come back. But I, I want to dive into this too, Sean. I think Kevon Merriweather has been tremendous. I think he's getting better by the week. Jack Kerner has just been reliable, and he has another year. It, it really is an argument to be made, Sean. This is something I wasn't expecting at the beginning of the year. But not that he's been bad, but it really feels like Matt Hankins – might be I don't want to say the most disappointing member of the secondary because again he hasn't played bad but when you look at the other three I think the other three have surpassed or exceed expectations while Matt Hankins has been kind of hit or miss especially in these past couple of weeks yeah I definitely agree um you know I can't really point out any plays in particular at the top of my head right now but you know there's been a couple where he's really been beaten out for some balls and where kind of the receivers have been able to go up over him or he just looks kind of lost in coverage. So that's definitely something that's neat, that's going to need to be fixed, especially once you go against some of these other – I mean, Nebraska, obviously, you don't – they're passing – They still got some trouble. ballers that can go deep. I mean, they just have yeah. a quarterback and the experience to do so. Right, right, right. Illinois got some really good receivers too. Wisconsin, obviously, with Graham Mertz, former five-star quarterback or high four-star guy, whatever you want to call it. They, they, his top receivers weren't available last week against um, Northwestern. So I think if that game, that could be big too. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely disappointing because Hankins was kind of the guy that I saw taking that next step this year, as we've seen with Iowa cornerbacks in the past couple of years. I mean, we've seen it. We saw it with Josh Jackson a few years ago. Saw it with um, not necessarily cornerbacks, but guys like Amani Hooker, um, Desmond Michael, King, still yeah, I think Gino Stone, and then another quarterback and Michael Ojemudia, yep, um, who I might have just mentioned, but no, no, I didn't. I mentioned Josh Jackson. So yeah, I mean, he was one of the guys that I really saw taking that next step, and you know, if he's not able to really elevate his stock like we expected, then that could be a case where he could come back for another year as well. So. You know, I think the secondary has had its moments this year, um, obviously with the way they've been able to create create turnovers. Credit the defensive line for a lot of those, too, with getting pressure. But, you know, 
it's going to be really interesting to watch this summer and these as we close out the season too and the five games to close out the year um, with the three regular season games, the whole Big Ten jamboree, whatever. The, the championship game. week, I think they call it, right? Champion Championship week, yeah. I just saw someone on Twitter called the jamboree. jamboree. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how he fares there because I think these last couple of games could really determine whether or not he decides to come back next year. I mean, I'm not saying he was an NFL prospect before the draft or before the season, but I think you look at Ojemudia and a couple other guys, like they weren't really prospects either. And I think Hankins has the measurables and honestly the skill set to be like a, you know, a late round guy or even like a, an undisclosed free agent or an undrafted free agent. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at too, I mean, Sean, Michael Ojemudia was a seventh round prospect going into the season and he boosted up to a third round. Now he's starting for the Denver Broncos. And John Elway said that that was their top defensive target because they did not have a pick in the first two rounds. Um, so you're, you're exactly right about that. And again, not that Hank Haynes has been bad, but I'm, I'm really interested to see who ends up coming back next year. Cause I think there are a number of candidates that that would be interested in it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the wide receiver core right now. None of those guys strike me as guys that want to come back, but it might be their best move to come back. So that's a whole nother rabbit hole. I think that, you know, we, we can dive into later on Sean, but I think it's time for us to kind of get into our predictions. What's going to happen on Friday in Kinnick stadium. Uh, what were the biggest keys for Iowa to come away with the win? And what's your final prediction? Yeah. So I think I will win by maybe two touchdowns. I don't want to touch that spread. I think it was Iowa minus 14. But the last time I, I checked it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still think that's that's a reasonable spread, but I still thought it was a little big. Um, but I'm going to go Iowa by two touchdowns. I'm going to say 28 to 14. I think Iowa really establishes the run right away. Defense shows up again. I think the defensive line has a really big game. And like I said before, I think the run game is going to be the huge key. I think if Iowa can get the run game going, establish that right away and kind of just take Nebraska's defense out of it, then that's going to be um, the major key for me, um, just seeing how they're able to exploit Nebraska's defense in that sense. And I'd also like to see Spencer Peters maybe maybe throw it deep a couple times. I know he had one or two shots against Penn State where – he just missed the receiver long. And I think I'd like to see him get one of those long, one of those deep balls um, and be kind of, you know, get that, get that confidence going and that he can get something going in the, in the vertical passing game. But the main key is just get the run game going and kind of just let get out, get out in front early like they did against Penn State. I mean, I granted Penn State scored for or scored or had a lead at the beginning of the game, but, you know, kind of just get out to that big lead and kind of just not give them much to breathe because or not much room to, you know, get back in the game because we've seen the past couple of years, Iowa's pulled out to the lead against Nebraska, but Huskers have been able to crawl back and kind of make the game interesting when Iowa clearly had the disadvantage or had the advantage from the start. Yeah. And here's the thing, Sean, I, I wish I could find the numbers in front of me, but I think I saw it during last week or the Penn state game. It, it's interesting that Iowa and Nebraska seem to struggle in the third quarters. Second halves have not been Nebraska's friend. In the game they won against Penn State, I believe they raced out to a 
four to three lead, and then they were outscored twenty to six the remainder of the game. But Iowa in third in the third and fourth quarter haven't exactly been dynamite. So I think I'll, I'll go off the board a little bit in terms of keys. Obviously, running the football I think is the biggest key. Nebraska has not proven they can stop the run against anyone right now, and Iowa's proven that they can run the football against almost anyone. Obviously, the Northwestern game is an interesting case considering you know Iowa threw fifty plus passes, but. Iowa getting off to a big lead. I mean, I'm talking you score on the first two possessions, get 10 to 0, 14 to 0, 14 to 3 lead over Nebraska. When a team has been as down as they are, it's easy to really buy out and just lose it. I'm interested to see if they can actually stick with it or if if or if they'll just drop dead and and give up. So, I'm going to go you know, I'm going to get a lot of crap from this, I think. I'm going to go Iowa. I think they put up 44. I think it's going to be a 44-24 to 24 game. I'll give Nebraska 24 points. I think they'll score a couple late touchdowns. But they gave up 41 points to Illinois. There's no reason for me to believe that with the way this Iowa team is flowing in all three phases of the game that they can't put up 40-plus points against this Nebraska team. So I'm going to go 44-24, score early, run the football, and limit the quarterback runs. I think if they do that, uh, then they'll be all set. So we're going to take a quick time out here before we dive into some thoughts about this Iowa basketball season, including MVP, most improved player, X Factor, and our season predictions, and much more. So we'll talk to you in just a second. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So, Sean, as we mentioned at the top of the show, basketball season is finally here. And to celebrate that, along with our Black Friday sale, 75% off an annual subscription to HawkeyeInsider.com 24-7 Sports. David Eichel, along with Sean Bach, get the most in-depth Iowa coverage, analysis, scoop, and everything else for just over $2 a month. I mean, that's, that's the best deal out there. Be sure to take advantage of that. Tell your friends, tell your family, and we're looking forward to continuing to provide you the best and most updated Iowa coverage out there so Sean let's dive right into it uh yesterday I put up my game by game season predictions along with some kind of superlatives but I really kind of want to get your take on this because I feel like you and I are going to be a little bit different about this we'll save our regular season predictions for last by the time this is released Iowa's game against North Carolina Central will have concluded uh we won't spend too much time previewing Southern but uh these are just some sort of tune-up games we get to see some younger players but uh Sean, let's dive right into it. Let's start right at the top. I'm pretty sure there's an obvious answer here, but maybe you'll surprise me. Give me your MVP to this season and why. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be Luca Garza. I, I don't I, – that doesn't <laughs> really have to be – that really doesn't have to be explained. I think he'll maybe t- – I think his stats, honestly, will take a little bit of a dive, maybe like two points less, maybe like a rebound or so. Maybe he'll even average more rebounds, but I think his points per game average might go down. But – you know, I think it's evident. Preseason National Player of the Year has all the stuff to be the National Player of the Year. Should have been National Player of the Year last year. But, you know, obviously with Obi Toppin, a lot of people fell in love with him. Um, Get a lot so, of dunks, Sean. It's impressive. Yeah. A lot between the leg dunks. And while Luca Garza's going up against Kofi Coburn, Xavier Tillman, 
um, and some Daniel Otero, the best. Jalen Smith. Yeah, the best, the best big man in the country and putting up 24 points, 10 rebounds a night. But, you know, I think Garza, I think he's hungry. I know he's hungry. Fran McCaffrey has said he's hungry. He's improved. The offseason work he's put in has really been paying off. He's This is a big year for him. And I think while his stats, like I said, might take a little bit of a dive, I still think he's going to be as productive as ever and be just a huge force in the middle, um, especially with the talent he's got around him. It's going to be it's going to be really fun to watch and really intrigued to see how he kind of performs with that because, you know, I mean, I saw – I was listening to Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander two guys at CBS Sports, college basketball experts, insiders, analysts. And they said that nine in the past – or no, so nine in the past ten yeah. national player of the years that they picked were all wrong. The only one was like – Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson, Villanova, 2018. 2017-2018, I, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, it might have been 2016-2017. Besides, no, it was 2017-2018, um, besides that point. But, I mean, the head guard's a national player of the year, if I'm not wrong. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to just go off of one one, uh, one publication. But, pull, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I think, I think that's definitely something you got to look at. And I do think Garza ends up getting it. Honestly, I think that's my prediction. I think, I think he gets Big Ten player of the year. I know a lot of Illinois fans will think it's Io DeSomo. I think he's going to be special too. I think it could be. I think it could be a one-two battle up there at the top. I think Dunsumu and uh, Garza are in a league of their own, honestly, when it comes to Big Ten Player of the Year standings. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really, really interesting to watch. I'm really, I'm really intrigued to see how these two guys fare. And I think I honestly think it could be a battle between those two, not just for Big Ten Player of the Year, but maybe even National Player of the Year. Yeah, and I think the end of the day, Sean, it could come down to team success because I'm, I, if Iowa wins one, even two more games, one, maybe two games last year, Luca probably sweeps player of the year. I mean, it's cra- I know people don't like hearing that, but that's probably the truth. As far as Luca Garza goes, his career high for assist is four. There's going to be so much attention paid on him. I'm really interested to see his development as far as passing out of the block, creating opportunities for his teammates for open threes. Luca Garza is a bucket. If he gets a one-on-one matchup, I think he's going to score the, by far the majority of the time. He proved that last year. But I think he's in better shape. I think his defensive intelligence has got, uh, increased. I think his consistency – I think he can shoot 40-plus percent from three. Sean, with all these off-season videos we've seen of him and what I saw of him last year, I really think he has that kind of ceiling. And I think he's – not. I'm not going to say be smarter with his shot selection – I'd say even more efficient, but he shot 54% last year. I mean, he was just so good and so dominant last year, but he's easily the MVP of this team, I think, hanging in this season. But here's here's where I say but, Sean. I don't think Iowa goes as far as Luka Garza takes them. I think Iowa goes as far as it can. This leads me to my next question. Because, I mean, we can sit here and talk about Luka Garza, but I'm fairly certain – during the offseason, I wrote probably about 50,000 words on Luca. So there's enough on HawkeyeInsider.com for that. I think Iowa goes as far as Joe Wieskamp takes him because Luca is going to be consistent. He's going to get the job done. You don't have one game in single scoring, single digit scoring, and not be consistently dominant and have 19 year 20 game score at least 20 points in Big Ten play. All 20, he, all 20 games had more than 16 points. 
Joe Wieskamp, if he comes out with a new mentality, if he is consistent, I think he is a third-team All-American caliber talent. I think he can shoot 40-plus percent from three, as we saw as a freshman, if he can create his own shot, if he doesn't let physicality defense is playing physically on him bother him. Joe Wieskamp, if Iowa can get that dominant one-two punch, you have Jordan Bohannon and C.J. Frederick as your third and fourth option. If you have your top two guys scoring at a high level and playing defense at a high level, I really think that Joe Wieskamp's the biggest X factor going into this season. Yeah, and I said the same thing as well. Um, I think just his play needs to be consistent. And Brad McCaffrey talked about the added weight that he's put on, the added strength that he has when going to the hoop. I mean, a lot of people know him as more of like a perimeter play and perimeter scorer, but if he's able to attack the lane and get into the lane and really create that way, not only for himself, but even like kick it out to other guys and even battle with some other like taller guys, bigger guys, like that'll allow Fran McCaffrey to have more versatility with his lineups as, as if he doesn't have enough already. Um, so yeah, Joe, if he, if he's able to produce at the level that we expect him to, I think that'll take this Iowa team to new heights, honestly, just because he was really, really non-existent in some games last year. I think I had saw a stat or put together a stat where he was like, he shot like 20% from three in the final six games of the year, maybe like 25% from the field or 30% from the field. And just not good numbers. And if he can get that confidence back, like it sounds like he has, if he can get kind of put that in the rear view mirror and kind of look forward, then I think he'll be in good shape and this Iowa team will be able to really live up to expectations. I mean, I know there's still other parts of this team that you got to put together, like Jordan Bohan's got to be playing well, CJ Frederick's got to be shooting well and other in other areas. But, you know, if Bohan and or if, uh, if Wieskamp's able to put it all together, then I think this Iowa team's gonna be gonna be better than honestly people expect, and that's kind of something scary to think about. And I and I agree with you 100. percent I think the biggest thing I think Sean is I think Joe Wieskamp will shoot 40 plus percent from three, especially if he's given the open looks. He's just too talented of a natural shooter and scorer to, to be held to 34, 35 percent like he was last year. A couple more here before we get into our regular season predictions, uh, Sean. I I think there's a lot of candidates for this one, but I want your take first. Who's going to be the most improved player heading into ne- this season? That's a good question. Um, I think – I don't want to say Jack Nungy because he was out last year, but I think if you want to make an award, he'd be comeback player of the year for Iowa. But I think sure. most improved – Hmm. I can go if you need a second to think about it. I might go I might go with Joe Toussaint. Okay. I think that he's going to be better offensively in terms of like turnovers and taking care of the ball. But I also think defensively, I think we saw that confidence that he had last year. I mean, he's so tough. Like he gets to the lane, he's able to create that way. He's just such a such a tough matchup for opposing Big Ten guards because I mean you look at him, you're like, all right, it's a shorter guy, like not really the most skilled offensively or consistent offensively when it comes to scoring but once he started to get more confidence last year then he really picked it up offensively and he just wears you down too as an opponent I mean going up against quick guards like that like even if like he's tough on the defensive end like being tough on one end of the floor is one thing 
But if you're tough to cover on both that, if you're if you're a if you're tough to cover for both sides or on both ends of the floor, whether it be defense, offense, then that just wears down your opponent that much more because they have to worry about you on both sides. I mean, you see it with some defensive priority or some defensive minded players that they're really only an asset on the defensive side of the floor, while offensive side while offensive minded players are only assets on offense. Well, Toussaint's kind of got that both going for him. I mean, I know his defensive ability is a little further than his offensive ability, but I think you looked at that improvement that he had last year, whether it be scoring the ball, getting into the lane, finishing around the rim, or just getting into the lanes and finding other guys and really creating the offense and really running the fast break as well. I think you got to play, you got to look at that. And plus with his defense, we know what he brings to that side of the ball with his quickness and toughness and strength. So if he can able, if he's able to keep that consistent play on both ends of the floor, then that's that's going to pay a huge difference when he's in the game. I mean, people don't really look at that a little bit. Like they kind of see him as a defensive player, but offensively, if he can get things really going and get into a groove, then that's going to really do. That's going to really going to do wonders for an opposing point guard like say an Ayo Desumu. Not say he's going to be matched up against Toussaint, but if they were to be matched up against together against each other or even like a Trent Frazier for Illinois, Brad Davison, Demetrius Trice, like whoever you want to see, who, whatever big 10 point guards, Joe Toussaint's going to be a problem for them because of that versatility and that ability to really be a tough minded asset on both ends of the floor. Yeah, Sean, I actually put Joe Toussaint as well for the, exactly the reasons you described. His numbers might not <clears throat> increase that much, I think he'll be more efficient. And just the way I've heard him talk this offseason, I mean, he he's just coming across so confident. I think the game his games will be more natural this season. I think coming off the bench is going to be a huge asset for Iowa because Jordan Bohannon will be getting the start. He's a good change of pace guy. Probably Iowa's best on-ball perimeter defender can create steals and is relentless. I mean, he is – I think it was Brad Underwood, the Illinois coach, called Toussaint a jet – in a tank's body just because of how strong he is and the way he can get in the paint. And I think he ended last season on a high note. And I think that if he can display a little bit better of a three point uh, shot, if he can cut down the turnovers and he said, I don't care if I score, my job is to create opportunities for my guys and, and put my guys in a position to score. And I think if he really buys all into that mindset, I think that's going to do wonders for Iowa. So a couple more, Sean, we already talked about X factor. This is, this kind of fits into your comeback player of the year. I couldn't decide on the two. I want your take on it. Who's your breakout star heading into this season? Because I think you can make a case for CJ Frederick and Jack Nungie. Yeah, I put CJ on her board. So I think just thinking about it more that I'm going to go with Jack Nungie just because his versatility playing the four or five spots and just the added weight he's put on, I think, he could average maybe like eight to 10 points, four to five rebounds and really be a heavy games where, you know, like he did against Iowa state a couple of years ago where he had like 16 points and everyone's like, who the heck is this kid? I mean, we knew who he was coming in, but it's like by far his best game as a Hawkeye from my memory. So I think he could have a couple of those games as well. Maybe put up 20 points and just the depth that he's going to provide as well in the front court. I mean, guards is going to be able to play a lot of minutes still, but, I think in a, in a perfect world, you're not going to want to play him as much as you did last year in certain games. Now, if you need to, that's one thing. But if you're playing against other teams where maybe you're, you're beating them a little bit more, you need to get him some rest. And 
Nunji will be able to slide over to that five spot, no problem, especially with that added that added muscle that he's put on would be a real real key for him. And I think just offensively, he's way too skilled um, not to play 50, like 20 minutes a game um, for Iowa. And Fran McCaffrey raved about him too during the media day earlier this month or last month, just talking about how much he's improved and how much he's really, really benefited from the two redshirt years. I mean, I know he was injured last year, but still, I think just what he was able to do. And I mean, CJ Frederick talked about it as well, that he was playing like an NBA guy during practice. And I know the ACL injury might take him back a little bit, but I still think that that skill and just the overall, you know, just his size frame and, just what he's going to bring to the table, I think, is going to be a real positive impact for Iowa in some way. No, and I, I agree with you. I was going to bring up CJ talking about Jack Nunji, and it wasn't even like a one to two sentence, you know, snippet. It was about seven, eight sentences saying how dominant he was and how bad he felt for him. I think once Jack Nunji, by the way, uh, I don't think we've said this already this podcast. My condolences, our condolences uh, to Jack Nunji and his family, the loss of his father. On Saturday, heartbreaking news to say the absolute least. He will not play in Iowa's season opener later today. Uh, it's undetermined when he's going to return, but Luca Garza and the rest of his guys said that there's no need for him to return right away. Don't rush. Spend the time with your family. It's exactly what you need. So, again, our condolences uh, to Jack and his family. But I think you summed that pretty well, Sean. I think that Jack Nungy, same. it's almost the same kind of bow as Patrick McCaffrey to me. Sean, I don't think people realize how good of players that Patrick is and Jack Nunji is. I know Nunji got off to a slow start as a freshman when he did play, but I also believe he wasn't playing his natural position. I think he's going to be much more better fit now to be able to play what Iowa is asking him to do. I think he can help uh, on the defensive end specifically, especially with rebounding and, you know, some offensive putbacks and some three-pointers. He's capable of stepping out. So, that will be something to watch. But the last question before I get into our regular season predictions, Sean, we can keep going with this all day, but I really want to hit on this one just because there are so many of them. Who's, who's the freshman that you're most intrigued about seeing? Uh, that does not include Patrick McCaffrey. I know we could probably throw him in, but I think you and I, and at least you and I know what Patrick I think can bring to the table. I guess you could say him. Uh, but of the five freshmen – who are you most intrigued by that could maybe carve out a role uh, or you're just intrigued to see how they transition to college basketball? Yeah. I mean, I've always been high on the Murray twins, especially the way they've been, they played last year at DME Academy and especially Keegan too, the way he's able to score the ball and Fran gave Chris some credit as well, but I think Keegan's going to be the main freshman that we see this year. I'm really excited to see Tony Perkins as well. Aaron Euless is the guy that I've been watching since my junior, like since he was in seventh grade, being from around the same area. So, you know, it's going to be Josh Ogundela as well um, once he's able to come around. But Fran talked about him being a little bit slower. But, you know, I think right now, at least this season, I'm most intrigued to see Keegan Murray and how he kind of adjusts to the more physical type play because I think you ask anybody – around the area or anyone that's really in tune with high school sports and high school basketball in the state of Iowa. Going back to the Murray Twins senior year at Cedar Rapids Prairie, I don't I don't think anyone thought that they'd be Big Ten players. And that's not a knock on them. That's just reality. And yeah. I think when I've talked to them too, like they kind of admit it too, like 
we didn't, we were not ready for college basketball. We were not ready for, to be high major basketball players. And I think that's what benefited them so much at DME. And even like the summer going into DME is when I will really start to invite them to open gyms and be like, Hey, like you think we can, you think, or we think that you can develop into something. I mean, you guys got long frames at six foot eight, six foot nine. You can be able to pack on some pounds. You guys are both very skilled and guys that can put, put up points, but also produce in other areas, especially Chris. And I think that's going to be so important this year too, because we talked about the versatility that I will need and some of the up guys up front, the front court, especially. Um, and, you know, you're going to need that from guys like Keegan and Chris and, just the ability to shoot the ball. And I mean, I know Iowa was a very good team offensively, but Keegan is going to provide that right away too off the bench. And I think I'm really interested to see how he's able to develop on defensively and just in the rebound department too, because that's something that maybe wasn't a strength of his coming in. I mean, he showed flashes of it last year at DME, but that's something that Fran McCaffrey talked about and something that Luca Garza really talked highly about with Keegan. Um, so, you know, I'm really, I'm really interested to see Keegan and, kind of how he kind of how he adjusts. I think these bye games will be really telling of how he's been able to hit a groove. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see a Cedar Rapids kid um, with his dad being such a beloved Hawkeye. And same thing goes for Chris, um, you know, show up and be a Hawkeye and really show flashes early of what he can be. And I think, I think he's going to be kind of my guy, my freshman to watch and maybe my pick to click from the freshman class this year. I hate it when we agree. Uh, it bothers me, me. but uh, yeah, I, I really like Keegan Murray, what he brings to the table. I know you wrote a story, I think two days ago about Keegan, about Luca, like you said, Luca Garza, Fran McCaffrey, both praising him and phenomenal rebounder. And that's not just Fran talking. That was Luca talking. Luca said he's been surprised by how quick he is, which was one of his biggest knocks coming out of high school. So that has improved. I think that's a tremendous step forward. Really good shooter at DME. And if he can bring that kind of versatility, being a, a four guy who can come off the bench, hit the three, be a good defender, get a rebounds. I think that, like you said, the front court will need as much depth as it can get. You know, provide Lucas some good rest, maybe to get Nunji some rest as well. Maybe slide Patrick and Connor at the four spot. But it gives Iowa more versatility. So I'll dive in a little bit more about Tony Perkins. I really loved his senior film. I thought that the way I think our own 24 sevens, Jeff Rabjohns told us after he committed Sean, that he thought he was a very high mid major player, but because he was going to Iowa, he was a big 10 player just because of the system. But I thought Tony Perkins had a spectacular senior season. He was runner up for Mr. Indiana basketball uh, 19 points a game. He's improved three-point shot. That's still his biggest knock, I think. But the athleticism, the defensive prowess, I've heard he's really stood out in practice with his defensive ability, his aggression on the glass. And I think if you're a freshman on this team and you want to carve out a role, Sean, you do it with two things, defense and rebounding. Shooting's a bonus, but I think Iowa has enough, quote-unquote, enough shooters. But defenses and rebounding is going to be the biggest deal. I look at Tony Perkins. I look at Keegan Murray. I guess Keegan Murray is my most intriguing prospect. I think Tony Perkins has the highest upside in this class. I, again, I, I love what he brings to the table and the way he fits with Fran McCaffrey's system. But we'll wait and see. I think those two guys have a shot. Aaron Eulis potentially does, but I also think Iowa right now is pretty loaded 
at the one spot. And I don't see Tony Perkins as a guy who can play the one. Aaron said he was a true point guard. And with, with Jordan and Joe, I just don't know how many opportunity, how much opportunity he'll get. I think he'll be a pretty decent player uh, in, in a couple of years for sure. But Sean, I have my pick. I don't know if you've done this yet. Where's Iowa finish in the conference and what's their regular season record? Do you want me to go or do you have your prediction? I can go. Um, I think because what? 27 games on the schedule, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go 20 and 7. Eh. Yeah, 20 and 7. Um, I think Big Ten play, I think it's going to be as crazy as ever. I think they lose against Gonzaga, especially with the news of Andrew and Nebhard getting eligible yesterday. Um, yeah, absolutely. to get for them, too. Yeah, conference wise, I could see a scenario where the first place team in the Big Ten, depending on like, you know, how many games, like say, I know it's not going to happen, but say like they get all the games in. I think there's a scenario where we could see the team, the best Big Ten team, lose about four games in conference play. Four or five games. Yep. And I honestly think I'm I'm gonna take Illinois first in conference, then we go Wisconsin, and then I'll go Iowa third. I know Michigan it's gonna State rub four, some, I'm assuming. Yeah, I know it's gonna rub some people the wrong way, but I think that's that's my safest bet right now. I know I think I think Illinois here's how I'm gonna put it. I think Illinois and Iowa are the most talented teams. But I also think Wisconsin is the best overall team in terms of who they bring back. I know you could kind of say, well, they just got hot at the end of the year, but last year, I mean, which is true, but once they got Michael Potter in the fold, I thought that was a huge, huge addition for them and things to really start to click. And Michigan State's always going to be up there, but I'm going to go Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, the Michigan State, my top four. Yeah, and it's, I guess it's pretty difficult for us to project in the NCAA because it's about one thing, the NCAA, two things, the NCAA, Sean, and that's matchups and how hot are you going into the tournament. I think those two things right. are the, you know. Uh, yeah, so I'm going off the grid a little bit, maybe going out on a limb. I put Iowa 22-5, and five, but I, I also think that they can go 21-6. I think that there'll be a game that they shouldn't lose that they do drop. I, I picked them to lose two games in mid-February and to end the season on a four-game win streak. And with that schedule, it's no joke. And I think the biggest thing in Illinois' favor, Sean, is they play the projected bottom four of the conference twice. Iowa has the most difficult conference schedule. So if Iowa wins, they've cer- they certainly earned it. I think that the defense will take a step forward. Is it enough to make a Final Four? I don't know. I think the team has potential to make a final four, but I need to see the defense in order to believe it. And I think I need to see more guys outside Luca Garza rebounding. Again, I think Jack Nungy could be a help. I think Keegan Murray could be a help. I think if Iowa can stay healthy, knock on wood, that's another big deal just because of all college basketball teams last year, Sean, Iowa had, I believe, the fourth most games missed from players on their roster. So, again, that was a stat that was telling to me. But Iowa, if they can beat the teams they're supposed to and pick up the games that are pick I like Iowa's chances to win the Big Ten. I think that they, they beat seven ranked teams last year, which was the most in the country, I believe. 
So that's something that intrigues me just because of how much Iowa was missing last year. So I put Iowa 16 and four in the conference. I think 15 and five is more realistic. I think that they clinch the two games are most important to clinching the big 10 title January 29th against Illinois because Iowa only plays them once and March 7th, the season of the season uh, ending game against Wisconsin at Iowa. I think if they can win those two games, Iowa wins the conference. I'm picking Iowa to win the conference. I'm going Illinois to Wisconsin three, Michigan state four. I will say though, I think Iowa and Illinois are in a tier of their own. I think that Michigan state's going to drop off a little bit without Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. I think if Tillman came back, I might've picked them to win the conference. Cause I think rocket Watts is a stud and I'm not sold on Wisconsin. I know I, there's just nothing that stands out to me that just, you know, that's flashy that kind of grabs my eye, but maybe that's what makes them a top two team. And maybe they'll make them win the conferences because that team chemistry and cohesiveness that they have. So and, it, you know, again, I can't really predict the NCAA tournament, so we'll wait on that. But Iowa tips off today on Wednesday, North Carolina Central at 3 p.m. in Carver Hawk Arena against North Carolina Central. They play Southern on Friday. But, uh, yeah, Sean, I think this is a pretty loaded episode. I think that's going to do it. And uh, we'll be back sometime. Maybe we'll probably have to do the podcast Saturday because Friday is going to be an absolute – um, interesting scenario, to say the least, with Iowa playing Nebraska at noon and then Iowa playing Southern at 4 o'clock. I might have to immediately leave Kinnick to go to Carver. So that'll be that'll be interesting. But stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com. We'll keep you posted. 75% off an annual subscription for the most in-depth Iowa coverage available. Sean, uh, any, any parting words, any bold prediction that you have? No, not really. Just a lot, a lot of turkey tomorrow. <laughs> The best, the best, the best holiday it is. Or, all right, well, Christmas, but Thanksgiving is definitely up there. Underrated right, give your, holiday. Give me, give me your top two sides for Thanksgiving. Like, what do you need to have? So I have to have turkey as an entree. Got to have mashed potatoes. And then, ah. So There's got to be I a box tier list for this, Sean. I do I do a moist I do the moist maker like they do in Friends. Okay. Where they, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, where they have like the roll and then you put the turkey. It's like a turkey sandwich, but also you put potatoes and then gravy. So just load it up. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Combine everything together is the best way to do it. Yeah, I uh yeah, I've definitely done that a couple of times. I think that here's the thing. I think macaroni and cheese is a must, but it has to be homemade. You cannot have craft. You can't have Velveeta. Like, you need homemade mac and cheese. It hits different. And I like green bean casserole. I used to hate it. I've come, I've come to love it. I only eat it once, you know, obviously once a year. So, I'm all about it. I don't like stuffing. I don't like cranberry sauce. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of those either. Yeah, I know. It feels like everyone is a fan of stuffing. And I'm sitting there like, nah, nah. I mean, it's not needed. I understand the tradition behind it. Like, maybe you make it just to have it there, but nobody yeah. eats it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you and yours remain safe and uh, set to be a busy weekend. So stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.